I wonder if you would like to have won the lottery. Um, <clears throat> a lot of folk would like to have won the lottery. Remember in Inverness, when we changed the car, the wee cheeky wee boy along the road said to me, have you won the lottery, Mr. McDonald? <laughs> well, this was a lady who put an advert in the paper. This is a true story. A Glasgow lady recently put an advert in the Glasgow Evening Times. Lottery winner seeks partner. How's that for a catch line, eh? <laughs> and she got, almost immediately got a phone call from a fella. So they went out together and, oh, they were doing very well. And they went out quite a number of times. And she said to him, Joe, we'll call him Joe, that was his name. And he, <laughs> she said, Joe, I like you. I, 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 I'm really quite fond of you. She said, you know what I'm going to do? She said, I'm going to transfer half my lottery winnings into your bank account. And he said, that's very kind of you. So, of course, the next day he's beetling down to the bank to see what he's got in his account. And he couldn't discern any difference in the amount in his account. So he was going out with her that night and he said, tell me, he said, did you do what you were going to do? And she said, yes, I did. He said, how much did you actually win in the lottery? She said, 10 pounds. <laughs> so it didn't make any difference. They kept going out together. And guess what? They got married and lived happily ever after for at least the last three months that I know of, you know. <laughs> and and the, the lady went, was a church goer. And she said, would you like to go to church with me, Joe? And he said, oh, I think I'd like that, you know. So they went to church. And guess what? Three weeks ago, the pastor led them to Christ. So wasn't that better to celebrate than winning 10 pounds in the lottery. <laughs> if I told you the name of the minister, I think you would guess who it would be. Eh? Who would it be? No. Gordon Thompson. <laughs> and he says, George, you see, they're absolutely suited to one another. They're getting on great. <laughs> the lottery winner. So that's a good story. Nothing to do with the subject tonight. But still a good story. Um, Galatians chapter 5, we're on, we're, we're weaving our way through Galatians. Um, and we're going to read chapter 5. It's a terrific chapter. The headline in the New International Version is Freedom in Christ. Oh, excuse me, before I start, do I need to plug myself into anything here? Is this okay? I wouldn't jump about and all that. Is that all right? Okay. Right, freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly wait through the Spirit, the righteousness. We eagerly await through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and demasculate themselves. Oh, good grief. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. <clears throat> Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Marvelous, isn't it? It's a restatement of the main theme after a, an Old Testament diversion in chapter 4. <clears throat> and uh, it's like we used to go to the pictures when I was a kid. It was beyond the stage of having a jam jar. I used to get, my mother told me they used to get in for a jam jar. But it was beyond that stage. I'm not that old. But um, we used to go and that time they had a program that changed twice a week. There was a matinee on a Saturday and there were films going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, every show had two films, not just one, two films. You had the A picture. That was called the big picture. And the B picture was the wee, the, the wee picture. Um, Ronald Reagan used to act in the B pictures quite a lot, apparently. <clears throat> um, but we're back to the big picture here. The big picture in chapter 5 is the picture of Christian freedom. Um, it's a recurrent theme throughout the letter. And he keeps coming back to it. It's a bit like music, you know. ba 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 You know, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. You've got that recurrent theme right through the, the symphony 
or in pom 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 pom, you know, Mendelssohn's Fingal's Cave. <laughs> that piece of music has a recurrent theme as well. Well, here's the recurrent theme: freedom in Christ, born free. And uh, in verses two to fifteen, uh, he says, "Well, he says in verse one, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a, lo- a yoke of slavery." In verses 2 to 15, in this wonderful chapter 5, he deals with false and true religion. Mark my words. And he's dealing with the fact that the false teachers have come in. Remember, they undermined two things. They undermined Paul's status as an apostle, and they undermined Paul's message. It was was good as far as it went, but it was inadequate. They also had to add on to it observance of Jewish festivals, observance of Jewish rituals like circumcision, and he's on the theme of circumcision in this passage. Um, False religions like whitewash or weeds growing in a garden, superficial, useless, misleading, and here sidetracking and dangerous. In verses 5 and 6, he contrasts in being sidetracked He says, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, the only thing he says in the end of the verse is faith expressing itself through love. So he states um, the expectations of a Christian that Christ is head of the value system of a Christian. And then he talks about a damaging interruption and a damaging influence in verses 7 to 12. Um, it's spoken about freedom in verse 1, uh, a slave losing his freedom. Don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And we know that slavery was, a, it was right in your faces in the Roman Empire. Um, they reckon that at least a quarter and possibly up to a third of the Roman Empire were slaves at this time. So slavery appears a lot in the passage as well. And um, at one stage, the Roman Senate debated whether or not to issue uniforms to slaves. But they decided against it because the slaves would realize how numerous they were and rise up and revolt as they did under Spartacus. And so they they scrapped that idea. Um, A slave using his freedom a debtor losing his wealth, um, the value for a Christian was being in Christ Jesus, verse 6. Um, so there's a damaging interruption in verse 7 through to 12. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? If you've ever been involved in sport and running and stuff like that, you know what this means. They knew what it meant, meant because they had... Tremendous sports, the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games. Um, and they knew all about racing and how some runners cut in on other runners. We've seen it in the Olympics ourselves, haven't we? Remember the week of the South African girl was a big furore about that some years ago. Um, runners cutting in to other runners. The people who cut in here were the Judaizers, the ones who wanted to take them back um, to this, the ceremonies of Judaism. 
And watch out for it, verse 8. That persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. In other words, this foul influence can corrupt the whole church, which was not founded on the basis of Jewish ceremony. It was founded on faith in Christ. Um, and it was easy to get distracted, easy to be cut in on. In one of his poems, Robert Frost writes a poem about the woods in winter. He says, the woods are lovely and very deep, but I have many promises to keep and many miles to go before I sleep. In, and in life, quite often, there's so much that would distract us and cut in on us and deflect us from following Christ. And the, the world and its blandishments are very, very influential. I know somebody just now who's in a turmoil because he's got a friend, and the friend is frequently drunk and frequently picked up by the police and frequently cruel to his wife, his partner, and he's got children littered about the place. What a mess his life is in. And now he's got this guy who was, uh, who'd altered his life, lured back into the kind of behavior they used to have together. And it is very easy to be sidetracked. Um, and this yeast can ferment among the dough. <clears throat> um, yeast, some folk think yeast in the Bible means evil. But it's, it's better to think of it as, as secret activity um, rather than evil. It's the influence of the yeast on the dough secretly without being noticed. And that can sometimes happen in our lives. Things get a hold of us and undermine without us noticing it. He says, in fact, these characters, I mean, it's, it's really, verse 12 is ridiculous. Um, it's an under-inspiration, I realize that. But he says, you want a sensational show? He said, you make so much about circumcision, then circumcise yourselves. <laughs> verse 12, it's awful. And apparently, in the pagan religions of Paul's time, um, read about it in the, in the book, I won't talk about it, but their disgusting behavior was that they did to do this, um, both in the cult of Sibeli and also the cult of Attis in Roman Phrygia, um, the priests did this. And Paul links circumcision here with the debased rituals of paganism to try and show their essential evil and threat to the Christian. And so their godly call <clears throat> in verse 8, he says that that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Their godly call, their godly confidence is in verse 10. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. And their godly cross is in verse 11. Uh, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished if I go down that road. And so he talks about false religion here. In verses 13 to 15, he warns against abusing their call to freedom. You were called to be free, my brothers, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. And then you get the, the motto. You know what used to be the motto of the women's auxiliary in the Scottish Baptist churches 
Serve one another in love. That was a slogan, wasn't it? For years, I think. Um, <clears throat> serve one another in love. And they're warned against abusing their call to freedom. And their freedom is not freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin uh, that, that uh, the Lord is dealing with. Um, you know, some folk treat God in different ways. One of Billy Graham's team wrote a book, Leighton Ford, I think it was, where he says, some folk think God's the hall porter. You know, in the hotel, when the, your baggage is too heavy, you snap your fingers or whistle up the hall porter, and he comes and lifts your baggage, and that gets your baggage up to your room for a wee while. That's it, done. <clears throat> some folk treat God like that. Other folk think, well, Bozo wrote to Anselm, uh, one of the early church fathers, and he said, God will forgive me. Seso metier. That's his trade. God's in the forgiving trade. <laughs> some men are in timber and some men are in steel. <laughs> God's in the forgiving trade. And Anselm wrote back to Bozo. I can't tell you what it is in Latin. I, only, I was only in Latin for two years <laughs> before we had to take Latin or science, and I chose science. But um, so Anselm wrote back to Bozo, you have not considered how great a matter sin is. You can't just whistle to God. You can't just call him up any time you like. Um, <clears throat> it's a matter of God's sheer grace and his desire to help us at times of crisis. And it's a matter of loving rather than biting. Verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Christians are famous for quarreling about things. How many, how many gas rings should be in a cooker? Whether we should paint the front door blue or green? And in this part, I wouldn't think there'd be any debate about that one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you can fight about anything. When I first started in the pastorate, there were two ladies, and they didn't get on together. That is the understatement of the year. And one of them wrote in because the other one had refused to take a cup of tea from her at the women's meeting. And the deacons were all stamping about, she's finished, she's right this time, and all that stuff, you know. And I said, excuse me, first of all, it seems to me like a storm over a teacup. And, <laughs> and then I said, the second thing is, how long has this been going on? And the heads went down, you know, uh, about 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's ridiculous. What would you do about this? I said, well, I mean, I was just a callow youth and <laughs> at the college. And <laughs> I said, well, I said if, the, if Brother Sexton would put his car at my disposal on Saturday, I think we could do something about this. The only two cars in the congregation at that time, by the way, that was 1967. No, 65. Uh, two cars in the congregation. One was the secretary. He had a car. Um, and uh, he put his car at our disposal. And uh, we, we, we went to the first lady. She lived in a prefab. And we went in this perishing cold prefab in a, a perishing cold Saturday morning. And I tried to explain to her why I was there. I said, the problem is that um, you've been attending communion. Uh, and you've really been making a fool of communion. 
Communion's for believers and fellowship, and you're not in fellowship with this other lady. So we've come here with the car, and we're offering to take you to the other lady and be reconciled, and so on. What had actually happened was, and you'll not believe this either, but it's true, it was during the week of prayer for Christian unity. <laughs> they had a fight in the main street, and one lady attacked the other lady with her handbag and broke her nose in two places. And <laughs> it really wasn't very nice. Anyway, <laughs> I said, I'm here to give you the chance to come with me and be reconciled to this other lady. If you don't come, I'm going to the other lady and I'll give her the same opportunity. And if the two of you don't get reconciled, don't turn up at communion Sunday. There'll be no communion for you until you two are in fellowship. <laughs> Do you think that was stupid? That was me and my eager youth. <laughs> All right, I'll come, you know. So we went up to the other house, and uh, I said, if you just park here, Mr. Tom Henderson, remember? Tom Henderson. I said, if you just park here, Mr. Henderson, I'll go in and see this other lady, you know. I said, I've got Mrs. So-and-so out in the car here. She's not getting in here. She broke my nose in two places. <laughs> and all that stuff, you know. And I said to her, I have to bring her in here. I said, look at me. And in those days, I was a slim, fit young guy, you know. And <laughs> I said, do you think if she attacked you, I would be physically able to pull her off and uh, save the situation? Oh, I think you would. <laughs> so, so I said, right, we'll have her in. And uh, so I explained the situation to the two of them. They were both old enough to be my mother. <laughs> and uh, I said, right, what's going to happen here? And the heads went down, and they were sorry to one another. And I put my arms around them and said a prayer for them. And as far as I know, there was never any further trouble. But we've been on for 12 years. Christians are famous for biting and devouring one another. Paul says, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And so he moves on to life by the Spirit in verses, how's the time? Uh, plenty of time. Um, verses 16 onwards, he talks about life by the Spirit. Um, it's possible to damage one another. Um, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Um, I quoted, by the way, in, verse, in page 136, 137 in the book, Iago, in the play Othello, you know, where he talks about the evils of the tongue. Quite a good passage that to read. Um, good old Shakespeare. Um, and verses 16 to 18, he's talking about life in the spirit. And he talks about the two, the sinful nature desiring what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. The old famous preacher, Alexander White, said, it's a sair fecht till we get to the pearly gates. <laughs> the old nature fighting with the new nature. The Red Indian chief who'd become a Christian was asked what it felt like. He says, like having two dogs fighting inside me. There's a black dog and a white dog. And said, well, who wins? He said, the one I feed the most, the black dog or the white dog. There's a call to freedom. Freedom. Freedom to live as a Christian. Freedom to live in the spirit. 
You are led by the Spirit. You are not, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under legalism or law or ceremonies or rituals. You're under Christ. And then he produces, um, as what they often do in the ancient world and in, in, in the, the, work, the, the, the Bible as well, Philippians 4, 1 Corinthians 13, there are lists, you know. And here are, here are two lists. Verse 19 starts the list of the acts of the sinful nature. And verse 22 gives you a list of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and when you look at the, the awful list he gives in verse 19 onwards, uh, there are three sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, two religious sins, idolatry and witchcraft, eight social sins, and he gives a whole list of um, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, and envy. Um, and he gives two drinking sins, uh, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he, he talks about them as acts, the acts of the sinful nature. By contrast, he talks about the fruit, singular, of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit, the singular fruit of the Spirit is made up of a composite package of fruits. If you go to Colsaith, there's a terrific fruit shop in the main street of Colsaith. There's a wee tip for you. And you got a beautiful, uh, you can get the lady to make you up a, what am I going to help? Pardon? A tree of fruit. A tree of fruit, all packed together and lovely, well, well uh, presented, I suppose what you would say nowadays. Um, well presented. And there's nine pieces of fruit make up this tree of fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Nine pieces and divided into three sections. Well, John Stott has helpfully divided it up for us. Um, three triads of virtues in this passage from verse 22 through to verse 25, well, 24. Um, <clears throat> love, joy, and peace. There's a wee triad for us. That's in relation to God. Love, joy, and peace. And then the second triad is patience, kindness, and goodness. That's in relation to others. Patience, kindness, and goodness. And then the third triad is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's in relation to ourselves, in our own personalities and behavior. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Go over them again. Love, joy, and peace in relation to God. Patience, goodness, and <clears throat> kindness in relation to others. And faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in relation to ourselves. Lovely, isn't it? Love's head of the list. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, the, the Greeks had four words for love. 
The first one is stodgia, which means affection, like you have for your pal, like you have for your pet. You know, you get an old pal, you haven't seen him. I've got a pal called David Moyes. His nephew is the manager of Sunderland, having he won a game this season, yeah. <laughs> David Moyes is my pal at school. When I became a Christian, he was the only Christian in the class, and uh, we became bosom buddies, and he became our best man. And C.S. Lewis says, Storgia is like, um, <clears throat> when you meet somebody like that, that you haven't seen for ages, it's like putting on an old pair of slippers. <laughs> you slide straight back into the kind of relationship you always had, way back to the time when you were schoolboys, you know. That's Storgia. And then there's Philia. Philia is family love. Love within the family circle. Um, like Philadelphia, you know, the, the, the city of brotherly love. Brotherly love, Philia. Um, and then there's Eros. Eros is physical passion. Um, and physical, Eros isn't in the New Testament, funnily enough. It never occurs in the New Testament. And then there's uh, Agape. Agape, uh, Professor William Bartley's definition of Agape is unconquerable kindness. And agape was a special quality. It was used of the gods before the time of the Lord Jesus. It was only used up for the gods. It wasn't a human thing at all. But it became a new coin minted on the lips of Christians by the Lord Jesus Christ as their distinguishing feature, that they love one another. And he uses agapao, the verb agape, means to love. And he says, God, in Romans 5, he says, God commends his own brand of love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which tells us God's agape is so overflowing it conquers even our sinful hearts through Christ's sacrifice. Wonderful word. Um, love, joy, Peace. Remember a pupil at school said, Yes, sir. He said, Have you got the joy of Jesus in your heart? <laughs> and I said, why do, you, why do you say that? He said, All, all Wolfie says, I asked him if he was truly happy, and he says, uh, You should go and ask Mr. Mitchell about that. Uh, he's in the RE department. Happiness is his department. <laughs> so I had conquered the market in happiness in the school. Joy in the Lord is a great thing. In relation to God, it's wonderful that the God has given us joy. Um, and recently, I had a funeral. Don't get a lot of funerals now, but this was a, a girl from Lamb Hill Mission, and she spent a good number of years, in her final years, in a wheelchair. Uh, she was up in a care home up in Cumbernauld, uh, and you know what she wanted at her funeral? Heavenly sunshine. <laughs> she wanted the congregation to sing heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine, flooding my soul with glory divine. Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine. Hallelujah. Jesus is mine, you know. The joy of the Lord was her strength in a wheelchair for all these years. She had taken a stroke and she was in a wheelchair. Love, joy, peace, shalom. 
Shalom isn't simply the absence of war. Peace is a positive gift. It's still used in Israel. You meet folk in Israel and say, Shalom, 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 Shalom. And uh, they'll greet you, uh, Shalom. And it can mean, in the Hebrew word means a whole lot of things. It can mean contentment. It can mean joy. It can mean uh, a, a whole variety of things like good welfare, like a sense of belonging, a whole a stack range of things for shalom. But really, the Lord Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, not as folk meeting you in the street and saying shalom. It's not just a conventional greeting. It's a positive gift through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a phrase in Paul's writings that says, peace through the blood of his cross. That's what the Christian gospel offers us. Peace, love, joy, and peace in relation to God. Oh, and there's a good one. Patience, kindness, and goodness in relation to others. And uh, patience means staying power, really. It's the, the quality of the veteran soldier uh, not the Roddy crew. The Roddy crew, his, his boots hurt his feet, but the veteran soldier, like Caesar's legions, could march. They could, he could force march his men uh, at a rate that was totally unpredictable. And when he was uh, in his campaigns in Gaul or France, as we know it, um, they used to say, the Roman army's coming. Where are they? Well, they're four days away, but all right, we've got a wee bit of time. <laughs> and they would waken up in the morning surrounded by Roman soldiers. Because Caesar would march his men at such a rate, they would give the element of surprise to his army as they attacked an area. <clears throat> and uh, patience, hupomene, um, Bartley calls it the manly virtue. It's the virtue of the veteran as opposed to the, the pains of the new recruit. <laughs> that we, we, can, we can be patient and we can, uh, our patience can last. And then there's kindness. Kindness is a wonderful thing. Absolutely wonderful. I was thinking about my mother two weeks ago. Um, and we, we were brought up in poverty, relative poverty, um, and uh, hard work. <laughs> These were the two qualities. And my mother was always skint. You know, every Thursday she was in absolute panic because she had to produce 10 cigarettes a day for the old man or she was in trouble. And if she went to the co-op, he was very grumpy because he hated cogent and shipmate, the two cigarettes that the co-op sold. And he didn't like them. And she would give her last halfpenny to folk. The only time she had money was when my father died and she got the insurance money. And all the pals were running like vultures. Woo, you know? Mary, I would like a Safona fire. Could you help me, aye? Mary, I would like a new mattress, you know, okay. And she was called Mary Hapney, by the way. That was her, her maiden name. <laughs> They're out of circulation now. And, uh, <laughs> and when she died, she left her wee notebook with what she'd given everybody and what they'd given her back, you know. I just flung it in the fire. <laughs> but one Saturday night, I hope, I hope it's time to do this. Aye. One Saturday night, we're out walking. It was a beautiful summer evening, and we lived beside a piggery. We had a cottage beside a piggery, and there were several outhouses. We heard the noise in one of the outhouses, and my mother said, I wonder what that is. And they opened the door, 
and there was a young woman with two wee girls, about five-year-old and seven-year-old um, squatters, had moved into the outhouse. And my mother felt so sorry for them, she took them in. I don't know how she got my father to agree to that, but he agreed. And we had a front room with a, a bed settee in it, and the mother and the two children slept in the bed settee. And my mother, she lived on Provident checks and Caledonian checks. You ever heard of them? She used to get a Provident check, and she, she clothed the lot in them. New clothes for the lot. And then she would spend months repaying. They had special charges as well. I, I, I grew, even in my teenage years, to realize when folks said, how are you paying? There are a different scale of payments for the Provident check people. And, uh, and then she used to pawn her, her stuff that she bought and use the money to pay her other You know, it was robbing Peter to pay Paul. And she must have gone into debt for months to see these, pe these people that she'd never met in her life before clothed. And we kept them for over a year until the mother got involved with a lorry driver, became pregnant, and had her child in her bed settee, which we had to burn. And my father drew, dropped the curtain at that point. He said, that's enough, that's us, we're finished. Okay, you'll have to go. But I often think, how many Christians would have done that for that woman and the two wee children? My mother was kind. She was a kind lady. She, she, she knew that get, got to know the Lord um, in the later part of her life, which was wonderful. Um, but she was kind. I remember hearing a speaker called Mark Green. Have you ever heard of him? Speaks at Keswick sometime. Tremendous guy. He was in business for years. And he says, the world is dying for a smidgen of kindness. <laughs> that was one of his phrases. I thought, that's a terrific thing to say. And then there's goodness. Goodness in relation to others. Patience, kindness, goodness. And then in relation to ourselves, faithfulness. Can we be trusted? I've got a friend and he can't be trusted. He's just done a rotten thing to somebody else, not to me. Absolutely rotten thing. And it's almost, you think, a very difficult thing to forgive what he's done. I can't tell you what it is. It's awful just now. And I thought, that guy, he had promised this fella something and he didn't deliver. And then he didn't apologize. And what made it worse was he, when the guy spoke to him, he promised to make it good and he didn't. And he didn't apologize and he's away. And the whole thing's awful. Um, but faithfulness is a good quality. Can we be trusted? And then there's gentleness. Gentleness is a lovely word. Um, Jesus used that word. And it was used of the Lord Jesus as meek and, and lowly in heart. Meek, meekness is this same word. It's translated gentleness here. It means, uh, it means submissive, basically. It's, it's used of a horse that has been trained to operate by reins, bit, and bridle. In other words, when you look at some of the wee jockeys that get off the horses, did you ever watch the, the horses?